0: Hi, and welcome to Bookable Space, the audio literary salon. Authors remembered, I'm your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. I'm a writer, host, presenter, academic, and a reader. I love being read to. In each podcast episode, a writer will read to us and answer three questions. We might talk about how they developed the characters, the sense of place, why they wrote the book, something they learned through research, and more. Ultimately, through each episode, I hope to get to know each author a little more, and I hope that you do too. Each episode is about 30 minutes. You'll find the author's bio and a bit about the book below this episode. Thanks for joining in. Today we're joined by Tim Wendell. Tim will be reading from and talking about Escape from Castro's Cuba. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm so looking forward to reading and talking to you. And I have to say, you know, you're talking to you today. I really miss the sound of your voice.
1: Oh, thank you, thank you.
0: (laughs) I feel like you have this really calming presence, and it works really well to just like remind you to slow down and just you know take it easy and breathe. So, thank you so much for being a calming presence today. And we're going to be talking to you, and you're going to be reading from Escape from Castro's Cuba. So shall we just dive right in? Let's do it.
1: That sounds fun.
0: Wonderful. So what was it like for you diving back into Billy, Fidel Castro, and the other characters into that setting in the world that you created?
1: It was, uh, Vaughn, first of all, it's great to be with you. Um, Great to see you again. But it was more difficult than I thought it was going to be a little bit. And I should have listened more to my agent or whatever, because it technically escape is a sequel to my first novel, Castro's curveball. And I've done some other things in between, obviously. And, and I thought I was done with Cuba. Then I took my wife to Cuba in 2017. And this is my fourth trip and it was mind-boggling how different it was almost from the get-go we got off the flight uh we flew southwest airlines from baltimore that was crazy and um landed and this guy we're coming across the tarmac they weren't able to pull a gate up or something so we're walking across the tarmac toward customs and this guy saddles in next to me and i could tell he's cuban and i'm thinking plainclothesman who is this cat and um and I hadn't been there in six, seven years. And, and he says, call me Ricky. And I went, okay, Ricky, hi. But I didn't say my name. And, and we're still approaching customs. And, and then he's, we're about ready to reach customs. And he goes, what brings you back to Cuba again, senior Wendell? And they're going. I'm thinking, like, oh my God, I got my wife with me and they know I'm back here already. And we found out later it was, um, I had arranged an off the record, uh, conversation at the U.S. interest section. So they must have had a mole there who contacted, you know, the plainclothesman or whatever. So <laughs> that was the start of a crazy trip. And I thought I knew everything about Cuba. So I came back home and I'm going, all right, I got right about Cuba again. I'm, I'm jazzed up and okay, writing about Castro again. You know, i even read a little bit of section from that. That was that was okay. And I missed some of the characters. But it's both novels have a first-person narrator, Billy Bryan, who is kind of this washed-up baseball player. He's not an ugly American, but he's somewhat um, you know, he's carrying a lot of burdens, shall we say. And and obviously this is a guy. If I'm gonna do a you know, continue the story, it makes sense. I need the voice. I need the guy yeah. who did it. And, um, it was funny because Billy wouldn't talk to me for a little while. He was like a little ticked off. Like when you don't call your mother for several yeah. weeks or something, like, where have you been? You know, I mean, it's been years <laughs> since you reached out to me. What's been your problem? And, and it, it's funny because I'll for fiction and not fiction, but for, sorry, for fiction, I'll interview my characters like out loud. It's a great way to be left alone. And finally, <laughs> Billy started to talk to me again. And, and once he did, you know it it took off and away we went so but that was the biggest problem at first is billy going to talk to me in fact even telling my wife saying oh this is going nowhere billy won't talk to me and she's like looking at me like i'm crazy (laughs) 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 but once he did we were rolling
0: (laughs) oh that's amazing did your agent ever say why they they thought that you shouldn't like return to the book or to, to billy
1: um no, I was kind of between agents and such, and, and, and one did, you know, cause Curveball did pretty well. I mean, it's been optioned to the movie several times, but, um, I don't know. You know, who knows where agents are coming from half the time. I think everything's like a knee jerk reaction on what's going on that day. And mm. and I think if you read me a little bit too much into it and, and bless my heart, I've great. I've got great representation. I love them all. <laughs> 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 but I've kind of learned maybe not to take everything they say as gospel.
0: <laughs> Which is good because at least you did it like you followed what you wanted to do and you wrote the book. And it's um really interesting and engaging. So, you know there's the following your 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 passion and your ideas
1: yeah i mean what, what's that old thing i mean somebody told me years ago i mean you know you got your mind heart gut so to speak and guts intuition really and when the three line up you got to go you got to do it and if something's a little bit out of alignment you know it's almost like getting static on the radio or something but um Coming back from Cuba, those three were in alignment. I was ready to roll. And then once Billy started to talk to me, we were in good shape.
0: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. So speaking of Billy, can we have our first reading, please?
1: Oh, yes. I'd love to. Um, and this, I had an old teacher of mine one time, Nick Del Banco at Michigan. He said, if in doubt, start at the beginning. <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. <laughs> this is the voice of Billy. Let's see. The assistant cameraman held out the slate detailing the next scene. And once again, the clapperboard snapped down and action, the director said. With the cameras now rolling, I told myself to stay calm, hold my gaze. Thankfully, I only had a few lines today. All I had to do was sit in the ancient stadium in Havana as the Panavision cameras moved in from either side and pretend to be my old friend, Papa Joe Hanrahan who was once the chief scout for the Washington Senators. In doing so, I tried to ignore the fact that I had somehow found myself back in Cuba, a star-crossed land that always seems to get the best of me. It's a beautiful game when it's played well, isn't it? Said the guy sitting next to me in the box seats behind home plate. I waited, softly inhaling for a long beat, as I had been coached to do, before nodding in agreement. It's more than a game here, I replied, trying to speak my lines slowly and with a measure of conviction. You know, it will always be a way of life. Of course, the real Papa Joe Hanrahan died decades ago, and I'd been recast as him for this movie. Davy Buccolo, who played my boss in the picture visiting from Washington, seemingly hung on my every word as the cameras continued to zoom in on us, eavesdropping on our conversation and the crowd at the ballpark. That it is, my friend, Buclo agreed. Back in America, baseball represents the 4th of July. Mom's apple pie, but here they've been playing the grand old game almost as long as we have, for it's always been the game of an independent Cuba. I nodded again as he waxed on about the game here in Cuba. It's rich pageantry, the flair with which they play, all the crap they were laying on sick for this big-budget Hollywood feature, so much so that I couldn't help thinking the Cuban government had a hand in it all. Out on the diamond, players from the Habana Lions, dressed in flannel uniforms from the late 1950s, took infield practice. I had to admit that this was a fitting backdrop, For our snapshot history lesson of baseball in Cuba, we had rehearsed the scene several times and the process had fallen into that comfortable place of being familiar, yet not quite predictable. Over Bucolo's shoulder, I noticed that a new kid had moved onto the field, taking over at shortstop. He fielded the ball effortlessly, flipping down his weathered glove at the last possible moment and then firing the ball on the first base in a single fluid movement. While he appeared to be uh, hardly putting any effort on the ball, it flew on a line toward the first baseman. Even though I was supposed to be hanging on uh, every uh, word from Bukolo, I stole another glance toward first base as another delivery arrived courtesy of this kid at shortstop. My old teammate, Chuck Cochran, who had been cast to type as an ornery coach, had his eyes on the new kid, too. Then everything around me grew quiet. I realized that Buchlo, who had put so much effort into his lines, had stopped speaking and was looking at me. Everyone, him, the director, the people on either side of us, seemingly the cameras themselves, were waiting for my reply. The only problem was that I had forgotten my lines. I had forgotten what to say next?
0: Wow, <laughs> you know it's funny because like listening to you read it, it just it brings it to life and it's like this this other layer to it. And I don't even watch baseball, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel like I I want to go to a game and have you doing like the commentary of it. And I feel like <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, now I see it. Now I could see this because something like. I've gone a whole lifetime and only gone to one baseball game. Oh, we got to do a like, game sometime. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say I've missed it. And it probably wasn't even the full game. It was the one Oreos game where the lights went out and they um, had to reschedule the game because like whoever they were oh going. My. To That's a very famous
1: game. That was the one with Cal Ripken and everything. There's a podcast called The Rumor. You should check out. Supposedly, they turned off the lights on purpose. To keep wow. the streak going for Ripken, because Ripken had gone back home after forgetting something. God, this is crazy. This is like street, street <laughs> vibe in Baltimore. And he had gone back home and found his wife in bed with another man.
0: No.
1: Yeah. There's a whole podcast, six parts called The Rumor, which kind of teases that out. But wow. so you were there at a very epic game. I was at that same game, by the Where way. Were you? I was in the press box and we we're trying to figure out what the heck is going on here.
0: <laughs> they passed me up and they were like, you can, uh, oh, like, I guess they gave replacement tickets or something to yeah, yeah, go a different night. And I was like, no, thank you. <laughs> and and um, yeah, I just couldn't do it. I felt like I had done enough to go through the first. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, no, but, but baseball's always, what's next? You know, that's the fun thing. So it's, uh, it's a little bit.
0: I don't know. Um, only when you I'm read sorry. it. <laughs> like, for, like, I feel like when I'm there watching it, I'm going, oh, what's next? But, like, when I'm hearing you read it, I'm going, oh, what's next? Nice? <laughs> so that was going to be my question. What is it about baseball that lends itself to a good thriller? Now, I could see what, could, what would lend it to a good murder. But, <laughs> but what is it about it that lends it to like, a really good thriller? What does it allow you to say or show or suggest? Um, and I guess I'm also curious how it allows you to reach readers who might not ordinarily either engage with books or with baseball.
1: Right. Well, baseball goes slower. And you would think that's bad. But on the other hand, when we're slowing down, we're getting deeper into something. And one reason I like writing about baseball, fiction or nonfiction, I've done it for several years now, is uh, from a literary standpoint, from a writing standpoint, it often breaks down to one-on-ones. So it's the pitcher versus the batter. It may be even the fielder trying to catch the ball. You know, it could be, you know, even the environment, the fans, how much abuse they're giving one individual, maybe even the the weather. So I I love, because if you think about other sports, like if you're going to write about, oh, I don't know, somebody runs around right end in football and goes all the way for the touchdown. Okay, that's great. That's fun. But there's a lot of moving pieces, you know, somebody had to block somebody a certain way, you know, he had to do, you know, a certain move. Now the quarterback even had to call the right play, blah, blah, blah. So it, it can really get, I don't know, teased out in the wrong way pretty quickly. Whereas with baseball, you can always spin it back to, you know, the one-on-ones. It's funny. It, um, i'm thinking of on i don't want to go too deep in it years ago i was in hollywood i went to a dodger game with a director who knew nothing about baseball and i'm talking with him and you know and, and actually we were trying to get some interest in curveball back in the day and about the third inning he suddenly goes i got it i go Whoa, wh- what do you got because what what i'm explaining right here isn't very very good and, and he he said you know you look out there and that guy with the ball who's getting ready to throw it. I go, that's the pitcher. Yeah. The pitcher. He's kind of on this area. It's kind of cockeyed, but it's like he's on a stage and he starts everything. He's kind of like the everyman in a Shakespeare play or th- something. And he gets everything in motion and it's going to start or stop with him. And, and he gave this beautiful definition of, I went, that's great. You got it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, I think maybe if I give um baseball another try, what I might try to do is look at it narratively. Yeah. And see and like because that could just be that connection that I'm cuz otherwise I'm going, wow, there is still the same inning and um <laughs> <laughs>
1: it goes on forever.
0: <laughs> it does. I feel like that's the one sport you definitely get your money's worth. <laughs> like when you go you to like work, it or not <laughs> yeah exactly like who would have thought but i think maybe if i look at the um because i think it, it is possible to look at and say well so which which character would i be most interested in and maybe sure, it's not sure. the picture maybe it's the person who i don't know doing whatever else anybody else does in <laughs> but it's
1: like one of those catcher. you just focus on them yeah. it's like what you what you're bringing up I, I took it wasn't that long ago i took my mom to her first baseball game. And my mom came from Michigan. So she knew football. She knew hockey. She knew all these things. And and she kind of came into it with the same mindset. I mean, she was kind of intense, you know, and <laughs> and and she's like, just watching. And and finally, about again, second or third inning, she kind of turns to me. And, goes, and we're with a bunch of people uh that we knew. And she goes, Okay, similar to the guy at Dodger Stadium. She goes, I get this now. And I go, What do you get, mom? And she goes, well, we're just going to hang out here, have something to eat, have a couple beers and talk. And when something really exciting happens, we'll cheer about it, but we'll just kind of go with the flow. And I'm going, you got it. You know, that's what it is. We're just sitting around here talking and, uh, and it's, it's a great game. Just to, if you, if you've got afraid you haven't caught, caught up, uh, you know, want to get caught up on their life, take them to a baseball game. You know, you got a lot of time just to catch up.
0: <laughs> oh see that's what i needed to know that social part of it okay now yeah. i can do it
1: you'll, you'll have a fun time and now, no matter what mean, happens okay. on the field I <laughs> yeah, got a little ways away <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> i don't even have to take myself up on it <laughs> i could just be like you know maybe theoretically hypothetically baseball but with mm-hmm. that in mind can we have another reading please
1: yes love to um so one of the characters in this is a guy named Fidel Castro. So we must as well do something that brings him in. And in the, in the first novel, he's very much, he's only 22 or something. He's, he's much more aged in this. So let's have some fun here. The knock came at the hotel door as I knew it would. I opened it to find a soldier telling me a car was waiting out front. We went downstairs and I went into an SUV. And as soon as the door closed and the SUV sped away, and soon we were accelerating through the sweeping t- toward the sweeping seawall of the Malecon, the breakwater that is in Cuba. Along the sidewalk facing the sea, more kids had gathered this evening to sing, along with a cheap guitar, or gazed out upon the water and what might lie just out of sight. How I wanted to be with them rather than heading toward this rendezvous with my past. We, saw, we slowed only briefly at the signal near the base of Old Havana and soon broke free of the traffic, making good time in the left lane of the boulevard that hugged the rim of the famous deepwater harbor, the place where the Spanish conquistadors brought their loads of treasure stolen from the hinterlands of the new world. On the far side of these dark waters, the searchlight atop Morro Castle, where so many were executed in the months after the Cuban Revolution in 1959, still sprayed its light across the ancient city. A hard turn took us away from the harbor, and we sped past the old railway station. It was followed by a quick left, and then a right, and then another. We could have been a boxer putting in time on a speed bag. Jabs and swings, cuts and misses. Soon, I wasn't sure exactly where we were, only that we were far away from Old Havana, the famous hotels, Chinatown, the ballpark, all the parts of town that I really knew. Twenty minutes later, we pulled up in front of a low-slung villa where most of the lights were off and figures moved among the lush vegetation that sheltered the walkway leading to the front door. My car door opened and I followed another soldier away from the street and farther into the shadows. In front of me, the door swung wide and I went inside. The far wall sported three flat-screen televisions with all the games from that night from the West Coast. The Giants, Dodgers, Twins, Angels, Red Sox, Diamondbacks. I love seeing this Mike Trout play, a voice from the darkness said. He could almost be Cuban, don't you think? I took another step into the room, letting my eyes adjust. Dressed in a black silk robe with dark slippers, Fidel Castro sat on a leather couch with the remote control in his hand. Billy, please come join me. I reached out my left hand to make sure I could navigate myself to a place on the far end of the couch. A drink bill? Still in Manhattan? Fruit muddled? I had to smile. Even though it had been years and years, Castro had done his homework. He wanted me to think he actually remembered my favorite elixir. I haven't had one of those in a long time, I replied. Then perhaps it's time for another, Castro replied. Castro nodded to the bartender, who made up one of those devils. The guy then refilled Castro's glass of doors with water and disappeared back into the shadows. Which game do you wish to watch? Castro
0: asked. Wow, this adds tension, even (laughs) them coming together.
1: (laughs) Very much, Castro is very much a lion in winter in this book, and he's just as dangerous as he was in the first.
0: (laughs) <laughs> is, is there an audio book as well?
1: Yes, and actually, I did the audio book. I
0: was going to ask, did you do? It?
1: Yes, yes, I'm doing more audio books now, which is a real treat. It, it's even though it's a trip, it's yeah, it's it's kind of bizarre.
0: <laughs> but I'm not at all surprised that they would have you like do it because there's just something that yeah, it just comes to life, and it's the characters, it's the silences, the pause, that tension. It's just captivating. So, uh, yeah, I'm not at all surprised that they would be like, you know what? Yeah, you're the voice for these books. <laughs> it's funny. I got into uh, audio.
1: It had to be with um, Cancer Crossings, the memoir I did about the cancer docs and my brother with leukemia and such. And and, at the, and they sold the rights. I forgot the way they sold the rights. And at the 11th hour, I said, I'd like to do it. And everybody went, Oh God, <laughs> this guy doesn't know what he's doing. And, um, but I did an audition and, and I realized now I was on a very short leash in the studio. I think I've had messed it up too much. They would yeah. just said, okay, you're out of here. But it was funny. We did it three nights, 75 pages a night. I was whooped. And, um, but then they said, in a couple of weeks, you'll be coming back for pickups. I had no idea what they were talking about. Uh-huh. And, um, and and so in a couple of weeks I come back and I'm still going, what are we doing here? What's this about? And and finally every beginning set up, and I went in, you know, the little isolation booth where I'm back there again. And I start flipping through the pages and I see highlighted all uh, a lot of the medical terms and drugs, methadrexate, cytoxin, donomycin. I'd mispronounced them. You know, mm. i made for sure I'd spelled them right, obviously in the text but I did. I was saying them in all different ways. So sometimes now I even wake up in the middle of the night and say, cytoxin, Dynamiocin.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I get to ask my final question, which you would have thought that was it, but it's not. So what sort of research goes into writing for you? Like what, what does that research look like? And what's one interesting thing that you found out that did not make it into either this one or the first one?
1: I like going, and it's been a little difficult with COVID, but if I can go to the place, you know, Havana or, you know, say I'm working on another book right now. It's set in Niagara Falls. I, I'm feeling if I can go to the place, even though it's been maybe years since whatever time frame I'm writing about, um, I think it opens up the doors. I can hear the ghosts a little bit better. You know, they're there. OK, what are what they really believe? And, um, you know, it, what happened with a smidgen of this in in curveball the first one and i was thinking all along i'll have more of this in the sequel and it just didn't quite fit and so maybe at some point i've got to do a third one but what i'm talking about is santeria and kind of all those ceremonies are so big in cuba mm-hmm. and i have i i've actually been snuck into the clone cemetery which is the huge cemetery in havana at, at night for one of these and I, i've I haven't quite put it in a book yet that's driving me crazy and 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 I had kind of forgotten about it a little bit, and of course I'm there with my wife who's you know a great you know great writer great reporter, and she's seen at one point we were in some part of a van away off the beaten track from the tourists and all of a sudden here's these women you know with like kind of white headdresses long flowing white gowns and every and they're walking down the street and every now and then they would just stop you know like they I don't want to say been shot, but you know, something, you know, you know, some kind of nervous reaction. And they almost dropped. They would drop to their knees, and and we figured out later they didn't know half these people. They suddenly would take a bystander's foot, take off the shoe, and start bathing the feet, and um, you know, it's part of their whole thing. But uh, the ceremony I was at in Cologne Cemetery, we had, I don't know, hearts of chickens and all this stuff, and I'm going, okay, this is interesting, but it was all. Again, trying to talk to the ghosts, you know, talk to the people that have passed on. And they have these ceremonies over, like, the grave sites and everything. So, at some point, i got to find a place for that. I will.
0: (laughs) It strikes me that it seems like that's something we're all trying to do in one way or the other. Like, talking Mm -hmm. to ghosts, whether it's through fiction or nonfiction or poetry or religion. And I love that you were snuck into it and that that's not what you wrote about. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, It wasn't, like... I, I saw this thing and let me reveal how they did it. Do you know?
1: Yeah. But I, I didn't want to get, you know, it's not like I'm super good friends with those people that got me in, but I didn't want to get them in trouble. So, mm. you know, maybe that's why I backpedaled on it at first, but I'll tell you being in Cologne cemetery as the clock approaches midnight is kind of eerie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like being in any cemetery. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> like and I'm, I'm I,
1: I get, I don't know. I get scared pretty easily, but I kind of hung out there going, okay, what are we
0: doing? (laughs) Wow. I love that. So with that in mind, could we have one final reading, please?
1: Oh, yeah. I'd love to. uh, I need to set this up just a smidge. We're late at night here, too. We're not in a cemetery, but (laughs) we're um, in a car, a BMW. Um, outside, we're in Monterey, Mexico, and there's three people in the car. One's Billy, the narrator, Chuck, who's been alluded to a little bit in the past, his friend from his old baseball days, and a woman named Yvonne, who is, uh, one of Billy's two daughters, actually the one from Cuba. And we'll pick it up there and they're, they're waiting. It's waited late at night. They're trying to see if, uh, the prospect they saw, the baseball prospect in that very first scene is going to defect. Please stay put, Yvonne. Chuck added, here, we'll try this, and he eased the car a little further up the alley, poking the BMW's nose out so we could see all the way down the street in either direction. Nothing was going on. A doorman paced back and forth, and the neon light reflected off the windows of the storefronts across the way. Reminds me of the old days in Havana, Chuck said, when it got too late for anybody's good. What was that like? Havan asked him. The anger fading from her voice, from her earlier argument. Havana, Chuck asked. Yes, back in those old days. Chuck turned the car off and glanced at me with a wry smile. In those days, Havana at night was the most beautiful place in the world, Chuck said. Of course, it was corrupt and dangerous, but you can't have everything, right? Everyone loves to harp on that now, and for God's sake, we knew it back then, too. It was such a sight to behold. Such a beautiful land when everyone came out to play. Why was that, Yvonne asked. What made it so special? Different strokes for different folks, Yvonne. Chuck replied, Billy and your mother used to uh, love to go down to the harbor and watch the cars roll off the night ferry from Key West. I found myself nodding. Me? I'd like to listen to Lola Chuck continued She was my girl or was supposed to be or should have been anyway she sang at the Hotel Riviera for her last night or last song of the night she nearly always belted out somewhere over the rainbow By then, it was well into the wee hours of the night like it is now. The crowd had thinned out. Sometimes hardly anybody was left if it was the middle of the week. But she sang that song because she knew I liked it. And I always stuck around for the end of that last set. What happened to Lola? I couldn't help asking. You know, Billy, I don't rightly know. Last I heard, she was somewhere in Los Angeles doing bit parts and pictures. It's how too many things play out, right? You think you have all the time in the world that you'll stay in touch with the precious ones in your life forever, but it doesn't pan out that way. now, does it? You lose track with each passing year. It becomes too difficult to find them, downright embarrassing to reach out. And by then, what's the point anyway? Yvonne said, you could still call her. I don't know, darling, Chuck said. That's your generation talking. With guys like your father and me, it ain't so easy. Even though we do it so much in our heads all the time, I mean, I can close my eyes and just like that, Chuck said as he snapped his fingers, I'm back to those late nights in Havana at the Riviera. Even at that hour, Lola often had some well-wishers and I'd stay out of the way. I mean, what's a ball player bring to the table in those kinds of situations, right? And afterward, I knew she liked to change, freshen up, so I'd wait by the backstage door sitting there on the steps, probably smoking another Cuban stogie. Somehow, from that small alleyway, I could see all the way down to the water and the lights atop the Hotel National, and that's where we often ended up. There was always time for a nightcap in Havana, right, Billy? Even if we were playing a doubleheader the next day. Always time for a nightcap, I agreed. And you know what I remember the most, Chuck said? It's the smell of the sea. Even well off the Molokan Breakwater, farther inland, even near the old Cologne Cemetery, you always knew you were close to the ocean in Havana. No matter how much it was built up, I mean, heap upon heap of mafia money and neon glow and big band music and foolish laughter, so many people carrying on. Through it all, the sea was always out there. It always seemed like it was only a few blocks away. I believe that's what made the town feel so full of ghosts. The sea breeze was always coming off the Florida Straits, holding everything's heart. We grew silent inside the BMW, staring out upon that empty street in Monterey, Mexico, as the night gathered around us. Everything Chuck had said was as true as anything can be. Closing my eyes, I was back there, walking along the Malecon in Havana at dusk. Once again, Melina Fonseca was on my arm as we gazed upon that dark expanse of water. How far? Melina would ask. It was a question she loved to ask, even though she knew the answer as well as I did. Ninety miles from Havana to the Florida Keys, I'd say. Only ninety miles, she would repeat, as if it was the most important number in the whole world, and to think we're almost there. Then she would smile, a sight I'll never forget. Papa, Yvonne said, somebody's out front.
0: Tim, thank you so much for such engaged reading. Thank you for your generosity in answering like all the questions. Where can we find Escape from Castro's Cuba?
1: Well, you can obviously order it online. Uh, it came out with Nebraska Press, so that's one place to look. Uh, it is on Amazon and such. But if I had to champion any independent books there, and I realize I'm talking to somebody in the U.K., but, uh, one of my favorite, favorite bookstores is just outside of Washington, D.C. It's called One More Page. And uh, we actually did the book launch for this book and several others there. And uh, and so if it's something you'd like to do, reach out to One More Page and they've got copies.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for it, for, really, for, for being my guest and for sharing um, this time with me. I really appreciate it.
1: My pleasure, Ivan. Great to be back with you.
0: Thanks for listening to Bookable Space. If you don't already have the book and want to read more, buy it, borrow it from your local library, read it, and if you enjoy it, review it if you haven't already. I hope you'll join us for the next episode of Bookable Space, the audio literary salon with your host, Yvonne Battlefelton. Follow me on Twitter at YBattlefelton, on Instagram on YIWriteBattlefelton for pictures, interview insights, and more.